Welcome to the Boulder Bassoon Quartet Podcast, Episode 2. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> we are the Boulder, Boulder Bassoon, Bassoon Quartet. Quartet. My name is Brian. My name is Ethan. I'm Kent. I'm Michael. And together, we are... Didn't we already do this? <laughs> oh, right. Oh. oh. Alright, let's oh. do it. The Boulder Bassoon Quartet. <laughs> so one of the big centerpieces of our project is this brand new work by Paul Hansen. Bassoon Quartet number one. Uh, and it has five movements. Each movement depicts a different part of uh, Paul's experience living and working in Tokyo for four years. The, the music of Paul Hansen is unlike any other kind of music that I've ever come across. He is a... An amazing bassoonist. He's a jazz bassoonist. He's a funk bassoonist. He's an electric bassoonist. And he also plays other instruments as, as well. Do you guys all have like an interesting like first time I heard Paul Hansen story? I do. Oh, what was yours? It was way back in 96. I was a junior at Arizona State. Uh, our teacher uh, said that he had uh, Paul Hansen coming in to give us a master class. And I had never heard of Paul Hansen or playing jazz on a bassoon at that point. And so uh, after the master, or during the master class, it was pretty neat. Um, he had students come up and play some normal classical pieces, and one of them was the Hindemith Sonata. And I don't know if you guys remember in the third movement, there's this this part that goes on. It's just kind of a, a string of eighth notes, you know, just da 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 da. And so Paul says that's very interesting, but what happens? if you take that string of eighth notes and you swing them. And so he, he started swinging the end of the Paul, uh, Paul Hindemith sonata. And I don't know, it's just such a different sound. Did it work? Did you it like worked. it? It worked, it was really cool. Suddenly it sounded like da 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 <laughs> And it was from that point on, you know, that I actually started thinking about uh, that whole jazz, that whole idiom on a bassoon, it was really neat. Do you think Hindemith would have liked that? I don't know. <laughs> Can anybody else answer that? Uh, I don't know um, about that. Yeah. Faithful listener, if you know anything about Paul Hindemith, let us know. Would Hindemith like his music to be swung? You played Hindemith something or another, right? Yeah, Didn't yeah. I've worked up the concerto for bassoon, trumpet, and string orchestra. Did you swing it? Not per se. No. <laughs> no, we didn't swing it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know a ton about Hendemith, but I think that he rather embraced growing up in the heyday of the jazz age. Hmm. Um, and he, he had a big um, like philosophical push for um, the usefulness of music, utilitarianism in music. Mm-hmm. He wanted music not to be overly abstract, but to actually have uh, some sort of practical application and purpose. Um, and as such, I'm sure that he wouldn't conceive of his music being swung, and I'm sure that he wouldn't necessarily want that to be the defining way that it would be that it would be performed. But I don't think he rolled over in his grave the day that Paul Hansen tried it out. <laughs> you know, like I think I think he would have had a pretty good sense of humor about yeah. it. <clears throat> Just about every composer that I've worked with. Um, They've always seemed to have a very open mind about how you play their stuff. I think the idea is just like, oh, thanks for thinking about what to do with my music. Thanks for putting yeah. some thought into it and being, you know, putting some preparation into it. You yeah. want to play it like that? That's fine. 
we played um, this piece by Dan Kellogg that he wrote for 14 bassoons, 14 different parts, all for bassoon. It's called Canticle of the Earth, and we played it at CU, and the ending was changed right there on the spot. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a very significant change, and the composer was like, oh, okay, yeah, that works, let's try it, let's try it the other way, let's try this, oh, okay. And then we wound up performing it with the change. Mm -hmm. It was a big one. And every time that we've worked with any kind of composer, I think it's the same sort of thing. That, by the way, you can actually see on YouTube if anyone is brave enough to go look that piece up. <laughs> That's right. It's a very dark, brooding thing, but it's actually... I uh, like it. Yeah, I like it a lot. It's, it's very well written. We should, we should play that sometime. We just got to find 10 more bassoon players. Yeah. Which apparently isn't that hard to do. <laughs> we had, we could have, you know, it's a, it's piece is really a bunch of whole notes we could have put that together right there on the spot at our concert at the Boulder Piano Gallery where we had approximately 50,000 bassoonists sitting there in the audience. <laughs> That's a rough approximation. It might be a little overblown. So anyway, back to uh, your master class way back in the ancient 90s. Did you, uh, did you play for Paul? I did not play for Paul, no. I didn't have anything worked up at the time. Did he get you guys to work on improv? He, he, it's, it's been so long ago. Um, I don't remember, but he came out and performed a little bit by himself first, and he did uh, some stuff just with acoustic bassoon, and then he brought some electronic equipment, uh, which we just all thought was just so bizarre at the time. But the first time he turned that uh, equipment on, and we could hear him with the auto harmonizer and things like that, it was really neat. It was an eye-opening uh, experience in a good way. Yeah. Well, I had a similar sort of experience. He came to Ithaca College, where I was an undergraduate student, and he worked with, I think, both the bassoon and oboe studios on improv. And the whole idea was that we all have no experience with improv, and we're all scared and afraid. <laughs> and so he would find ways of um, you know, setting up a fairly easy improvisational workshop, basically. And we would just go down the row and each of us would play something or another. And I think it was all about uh, playing in the modal sense of jazz where it's just one chord over and over and over. And so you don't have to worry about switching between chords, which is the hardest thing about improvising, I think. And I, by that point, I had already heard some of his music. The, the CD uh, Woods of Red was out. And I remember I snuck into the, or I went in the library and I snuck the CD out of the library and I got Paul to sign it and then I put it back in the library because we weren't actually supposed to take it out of the thing. <laughs> so someplace at Ithaca College, there's this autographed CD by Paul, thanks to me. <laughs> the CD is Voodoo Suite. Oh, Voodoo Suite. Of which Woods of Red is his uh, first yeah. track. Yeah. There you go. So he, I think he played some of that um, at a performance at Ithaca. And then a year or two later, he came back for a whole semester. And I had the pleasure of working with him, not only for jazz and improv, and he put together a jazz bassoon quartet, but also just for normal lessons. And so whatever he wanted to work on, he was ready to work on it. I happened to be working on Bach cello suite number two. And one of the highlights of the whole semester was when he, I, I played the overture and he said, Oh, that's, that's really good, but why don't you try it more like this? we got to work on the, getting this Baroque kind of style. And he just turned and looked out the window, not at any music, and he played the whole 
first two pages by ear perfectly, and he played it in this, this Baroque style as well. And I just sat there with my jaw, sitting on the floor, <laughs> enjoying the performance. So over the course of the semester, he works with this uh, bassoon quartet that we put together. He arranged some original pieces, and uh, we culminated the semester by going over to Cornell and playing at a coffee shop. And we played um, uh, three or four tunes. Actually, I've got recordings of them. Oh, I should put that on the podcast and find those recordings. They're really bad recordings because they were made with the old mini disc player, and you can hear the cappuccino machine more than you can hear us. <laughs> for all of a semester, I was pretty, pretty pleased with the way that it went. from our sponsor. This episode of the Boulder Bassoon Quartet podcast is brought to you by Forest Music. Just about everything you need to play a double reed instrument is available at Forest's Music. Visit them online at forestsmusic.com. And before too long, they'll have Boulder Bassoon Quartet CDs for sale, right? That's right. They're enormous... Uh, supply of double reed equipment and materials will finally be complete <laughs> when <laughs> they start selling from the opposite shore. Yes, the first album of the Boulder Bassoon Quartet featuring Paul Hansen's brand new work, Boulder Bassoon Quartet, I mean, uh, Bassoon Quartet <laughs> number one. That would have been cool. So that was my experience with Paul and then a number of years later here we are uh, we've just commissioned him of course I've seen him perform at the IDRS conference a number of times and I've listened to all of his CDs when his CD uh, Frolic in the Land of Plenty came out I was right in line to get that and that's a tremendous album I think 
Let's take a listen to a tune, or an excerpt of a tune from Frolic in the Land of Plenty. This is Subtle Demons by Paul Hansen. <laughs> Music is available at paulhansonmusic.com. 
And of course, you can find out more about him on our website, boulderbassoons.com, especially concerning his involvement in our project and our new CD, From the Opposite Shore. Did you guys have any kind of like expectations about what his work for us was going to be like? I mean, my biggest thing that I was thinking about was how much how much of it would sound like jazz versus how much of it would sound like something that was more contemporary classical type type music because he can he can write and he can play in a lot of different idioms. So that that was an interesting thing. And then I was I was super curious whether whether there was going to be improvisational sections where it was just chord changes uh, and someone's improvising or whether he would choose to write all that stuff out. Um, because I know, you know, a lot of a lot of the stuff that he actually wrote down, he he'll write out the whole solo. And some of his other stuff I noticed, you know, there are chord changes and obviously he's he's a jazz guy, so he'll often do that. Somewhere along the lines, Paul joined forces with Cirque du Soleil and he toured through South America with Cirque du Soleil and then they created a new production in Japan, in Tokyo. And they invited Paul to be uh, one of the musicians in the band. I think it was a six-piece band. And as such, he, he was there to help create the music and he performed all the time. I think he said they had like eight shows a week or something like that, just a crazy performance schedule. And one time, Cowdy and I went to Japan and we saw this production called Zed. And sure enough, it was amazing. And Paul was visible on stage. And as such, he had to dress up as this like French clown, this big purple outfit and his face was painted and everything. And uh, the, the way the stage was set up, they had the stage with all the acrobats and everything. And then I think under it was, um, it almost looked like six little caves. And in each of these little caves were one of the musicians. So it was Paul, and there was um, you know a percussionist and a bass player and a violin player and a couple of other guitarists and things. And every once in a while they would go walking around. So at one point Paul was walking around the rafters up above uh, the acrobats as they were doing all their crazy flips and stuff. And fairly frequently he was playing notes that you just shouldn't be able to play on the bassoon playing up to not only a high F, but also a G. And I don't have perfect pitch, but Cowdy was going nuts. She kept nudging me, hit me. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? He was playing high G. He worked, um, he worked in Japan for Cirque du Soleil, starting, I think, in 2008. And then the horrible tsunami happened in March of 2011. And that affected the whole area where the uh, production was taking place and ruined the, the stage and ticket sales went down and everything. And that was the end of the, of the run. And so as a result, Paul and his family are back here in the States and he's performing with a, uh, a bass player in a duo that they call Oon, O-O-N. And they have a CD that's available um, and they're touring around. And speaking of which, Paul is coming to Colorado in November and he'll be taking up a residence at Colorado State University up in Fort Collins. He'll also be at uh, University of Northern Colorado at Greeley and they're working on putting together something in Laramie at the University of Wyoming. So everybody has the opportunity to come see Paul live uh, in Colorado 
the week of uh, November 18th, 19th, 20th, and I think the 21st. All the details are available at paulhansonmusic.com and of course at boulderbassoons.com. Seeing Paul Hansen perform live is a completely unique experience and we highly recommend it. The man can circular breathe, he has amazing equipment, and he can do stuff with the bassoon that you would never expect. So folks, thanks for listening. If you like anything that we're doing, please check us out on Kickstarter while it's still available. And uh, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Boulder Bassoon 4. And to close things up, here is a snippet from the brand new Bassoon Quartet Number 1 by Paul Hansen. Oh.